0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: Well, how companies treat their customers is a very important topic these days. We have done stories on this show about how customer loyalty is an important component of the millennial generation. Yet there are still some situations where a company won't treat that consumer in the best interests all the time, and it ends up biting them a little bit in the backside. So why not see companies treat their customers or clients in the same manner that you would treat your mother? Jeannie Bliss has spent more than two decades in this arena working as a chief customer officer. It's actually a job that uh, she kind of created herself, and companies have kind of developed out of that. She has worked in that role in the past for companies like Land's End, Microsoft, Coldwell, Coldwell Banker, and Allstate. And she is now the founder and president of Customer Bliss, a firm that consults with other companies about these issues. And she has put an interesting book together that looks at whether or not companies are doing exactly what we say in the title of the book would you do that to your mother the make mom proud standard of how to treat your customers and it's a pleasure to have her with us on the show great to have you with us today jane great thanks for coming on
0: thank you i'm so glad to be with you
1: thank you um i want to start with though your your career first and, and this the idea of of chief customer officer And and take us through what that process was like over the course of, what, a couple of decades uh, of doing that type type of work. I mean, how did it really – how did the idea really get started?
0: Well, you know, it's great because I've been doing this work since 1983, and all of my my entire career began because I answered an ad in the Chicago Tribune newspaper to go train 2,500 phone operators at Land's End a million years ago. And um, what happened was I started peppering Gary Comer, the founder, with questions and about what we needed to do for customers and employees. And after a, a year of that, he said, look, you come and report to me. You're the conscience of our company. We're growing 80% a year. We need somebody to help us all as a leadership team keep ourselves together and united. And so that was – the first version of doing what I call the, being the human duct tape of the organization. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I stayed there for 10 years. The company grew. We went public. We were wildly successful back then. Yeah. And uh, I, I decided I, I love this work. It's right brain, left brain. It's uniting an organization unlike any other role. And so I am deliberately moved industries. I went to... Mazda Motor of America, the Miata and the RX7 had just come out and they were trying to wrap an experience around those vehicles. And then I went to Coldwell Banker Corporation. I was a uh Senior Vice President of Franchise Services, supporting a B2B model, business-to-business model. Uh, Then I knew I needed to go really big, so I went to Allstate Corporation. I reported to the president. I was the first person in charge of the customer experience there. And then finally said, you know, technology is a thing. I need (laughs) to do technology. And so I went to Microsoft, and I was the first general manager of worldwide customer and partner loyalty. Well, and uh, that that kind of gave me my chop.
1: Well, what's interesting is, is that as as you you know I, in going through the book and looking at some of the examples you present, maybe it's a little bit of the pessimist in me, but you you still do see examples, and, and they are at times blatant examples of companies that don't treat their customers like they would That's treat right. their mom. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm thinking Wells Fargo most recently.
0: This, and you'll notice that throughout the book, I do give the bad examples, but I'm not naming the companies yeah. because what I want to do, the, the point of the book is you live your life through this book. If you go through the 32 case studies, there, it's the story of our lives as customers. And, yeah. and what's interesting is our human condition as customers, unfortunately, is what binds us, right? Yeah. We've all been through, you know, waiting four hours for our cable guy or something. <laughs> we've, yes. we've all seen a pen chained to a bank and go, really? I gave them my money and, you know, they're chaining this pen. We've all been through fine print and gotcha moments. And so in the way I organized the book, again, thank you for asking about my background. What I wanted to do was give people a toolkit that gives them action items and is organized in a very simple way. Be the person I raised you to be. You've got to get out of the way of good people you hire. Yeah. We, you know, we can't let our, we don't let our employees do the right thing. We lock them into rules and regulations and policies. You know, would you turn your mom's warranty claim down two days out of warranty? Right. Well, right. So um, that's really how I organized the book. I especially love the second chapter. It's called Don't Make Me Feed You Soap.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We're talking with Gene uh, Bliss, who is the author of the book, Would You Do That to Your Mother? The Make Mom Proud Standard of How to Treat Your Customers. Uh, your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. And it is interesting because, you know, as we're young adults and we're growing up and we obviously I think almost everybody has this level of respect for their mom. And yep. then something happens when you – and you kind of laid out some of the ideas there in terms of the corporate culture. Something just happens. And when when we're dealing with a customer, in some cases, not all these days, it's like a, a, a switch is flipped and things are totally different.
0: Well, yeah, and, you know, what's interesting is that we're good people that get – stuck inside of a corporate environment where we're not able to have what I call congruence of heart and habit. And It sounds kind of Pollyannish, but it isn't. You know, everybody comes to work, but things take over. Silos, yeah. short-term priorities, red, yellow, and green dots, uh, saluting the flag of the board, uh, short-term financial pressure. And those things come before long-term growth or what I call those strings-attached growth. And the companies that somehow are finding a way to grow, but growing in a deliberate way. That's why the make mom proud question is a conscience question. Yeah. have to have strong leaders that push back. You know, that whole series of REI closing on Black Friday, right? That's yeah. a yeah. deliberate move that says, look, here's who we are. And we're not going to make money because if our whole foundation is around being outside, Not gonna make money on a day where you should be outside with your family.
1: How prevalent do you think that that make mom proud mindset is? at the C-suite level, because that's where the, the core decisions are made. And, and obviously, in many cases, with public companies, those are the people that have to answer to the shareholders. You know, they're getting millions of dollars, and if even if they get pushed out the door, they've got the proverbial golden parachute. But still, I mean, it has to be, I think, from the C-suite on down to be able to really get that to drive home.
0: You're, you're totally right. In fact, I spent the, the majority of my career coaching – the C-Suite on this work and what's interesting is that what what's happened in the past 10 years is we finally have this Understanding three things have shifted number one in most cases the C- C-Suite recognizes now that organic growth is 10x more profitable than simply going out and reacquisitioning for new customers number two social media is a burr in the side of C-suites who aren't delivering an experience customers want because they're saying it out there, right? You you can say what you are, but your customers are speaking what you really are. They're speaking your values. And then the third thing that's happening, you know, because I write all these books about chief customer officers as well, and that's the majority of the people I coach, is that the silos don't organically unite. And so what we've got is – Uh, something that we do with C-suite leaders all around the world, they call it customer math, which is, did you bring in more customers than you lost? Are you keeping more customers than than you're losing? And what we're finding is if we can make the metrics simple and around the growth or loss of the customer asset, it then drives them to take the behavior to grow and honor that asset. But you've got to start with the ROI of the customer asset from a growth standpoint. Otherwise, it starts to feel too much like kumbaya to many of them.
1: We are seeing in companies more today a want to have teams working on projects. Yes. Do you think that that move by corporations benefits the ability to have that make your mom proud philosophy?
0: Well, you know, what's interesting is um, in talking about the C3, we just addressed the fourth chapter of the book, which is called Take the High Road, yeah. these are those leadership decisions. This next question you just had asked is about put others before yourself, the middle of the organization and these teams. They're the ones who inadvertently create the spaghetti bowl of complexity that defines all of our lives as customers, right? Right. But what we're, what we're seeing finally is a new discipline. You can call it human-centered design or w- whatever, which is you start with the customer's life and their emotion. And the paradoxical thing won't kick in from a growth standpoint unless you realize to reach your goals, you need to first start and design to let your customer achieve theirs. Um, One of my favorite stories from the book, for example, is Kareem, the Uber of the Middle East, the ride-sharing service. They recognized that a certain segment of their customers was stopping using their service. And, you know, if you just ask a survey, why aren't you using our service, you may or may not get what you need. But by speaking to them and watching them and understanding their behavior, they and this is where human-centered design kicks in, they recognize that these people started having kids. And they weren't going to use the service because there were no car seats. So they started Kareem Kids, and that has tripled their business.
1: You tell a a story in the book about uh, Virgin Hotels, which— which I, I, anybody that has stayed at a hotel has lived this story. You go into the hotel, you're, co- you're coming from wherever you're coming from, you get in there, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you wanna go to the mini bar, and then you know that the prices are insane. And you talk about how Virgin Hotels really kind of took that mindset and, and tweaked it. So that, like, things like candy bars are, yes. are, would be the same price that you would find in, you know, if you went to your local convenience store.
0: That's right. And I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, that's the high road, right? Raul Leal, who's the CEO of Virgin Hotels, and, and, and our friend Mr. Branson, who we all adore, they made a deliberate uh, decision about how they would and would not make revenue and yeah. that's leadership yeah. you know he says that we don't ever want our customers to feel like we have them so they created that thing called street pricing in fact their managers walk around with notepads to make sure that they're at the level of the street pricing the local 7-eleven or whatever you're going to go to the mom and pop down the street they also don't charge for delivering your meal
2: yeah.
0: uh, nor do they charge for your wi-fi raul Leal says we consider wi-fi a right not a revenue stream um, there's there's another great example in that same chapter. The um, Columbus Metropolitan Library. They are the first urban library in the world to get rid of late fees.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, right. That's fantastic.
0: Because if your goal is to coach and educate and nurture young minds, you know, I remember when I was growing up, I had to return books in the middle of the book. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's this kind of very deliberate. Choosing how you will grow, you know, fine print, gotcha yeah. moments. Those are the things that you know you may get your customer short term, but you're not going to earn their love and their growth and their admiration long term. That's the leadership movement we're going on. And
1: and, also, and and everybody will remember the the Seinfeld episode where he gets where he gets <laughs> caught with a book that apparently's been late for about 25 years as well.
0: <laughs> That's right. And you know, I also think there's something to be said about the times we're living in. Yeah. and values-based growth. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I just think, and, and the other thing that we're finding is the more high-tech we get, the more humanity we need, right? Yeah. You know, yes, yes, you can possibly now have your refrigerator repairman indicate to you when he's going to show up on an app, but, if, but it's the, the man and how he shakes your hand and if he puts on booties and how he cares for your furniture that tells you the kind of mother he's got.
1: So how do you think then this mindset is going to change I mean obviously we talk about how the companies react to their customers but how do you think companies are going to react to the people they want to hire by having this type of mindset or looking for it
0: Well it changes everything you know what's interesting is Wegmans on the Eastern Seaboard you must know yeah, them yeah. they they wait until they find people to meet their core values until they will open a market area Um, The container Mm. store only hires 3% of people who apply. So what we're seeing is more and more deliberateness around hiring to core values and hiring the human behind the resume. We're walking away from reading the piece of paper. We're watching behaviors. We're putting people in situations. Southwest Airlines for years has had this whole role-playing exercise you go through for a full day so they can see the human. Uh, There's a case study in the book I love, Pale Sudden Service. They're a drive-through hot dog and hamburger stand. They've actually won a Malcolm Baldrige Award. This is how efficient they are. But they they understand the young men and women, many of whom are teenagers, right, by putting them through a 60-question psychometric survey that asks things like, in general, I'm pretty happy about myself. Yeah, I find I should trust people right away. Raising my voice is a good thing. So these companies are changing how they hire, who they hire, and making employee experience as much and as deliberate a path and priority as customer experience.
1: And, and then that goes to something else we've talked about on the show is the, the want by these companies to have a specific culture I mean, obviously you're bringing in these individuals that would seemingly fit into that culture, but mm-hmm. they're looking for a specific culture uh, of, you know, camaraderie, of getting along, of, right. of working together, and, and that ends up hopefully having a positive effect on the company and the company's bottom line.
0: That's right, and and that's why I focused on that chapter being the first one, be the person I raised you to be. You know, it doesn't do you any good to hire a smart, energetic Innovated human, If you block, if you lock them in to blanket policies, and instead, uh, or and in, instead the inverse is, you give them information, data, knowledge, and then trust them to make judgment calls that are right for the customer standing in front of them, which actually elevates them to a customer rescue artists and customer development people versus policy cops and phone answerers that diminishes their spirit.
1: We are talking with Gene uh, Bliss, who is the author of the book, Would You Do That to Your Mother? The Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So with, with some of the companies that you profile in the book, how it, it, give us an example or two of how – following this mindset has truly changed both the company the culture but also the 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 success of the company
0: yeah no I, I'm glad you mentioned that because what I've tried to do in each of these case studies is is give an impact in terms of you know what drives the growth of the company uh, it's interesting there's I'm trying to find a good one for you um, throughout the book well pale sudden service we'll just we'll just finish up on that one yeah so, um, they haven't lost, they've lost six general managers in almost 33 years. Their square footage is almost 25% more than others. And uh, as I mentioned, they won this Malcolm Baldrige Award. So, what we see is that these companies are very, very deliberate. Here's an interesting one Centerpoint Energy. Now, this is an energy company, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and what's interesting about energy companies is that we're captive to them. But these companies are are recognizing that there's an imminent competitor in, um, you know, solar and other things. And what CenterPoint has done is they've created this experience where your power goes out. That doesn't mean that you're in the dark from a human standpoint. Right, right. They have set up a whole series of communications, responses, alerts. Um, and they have put as much money into the product of communication as they have put into their grids and their power grids. And they actually just won the number one award for their market area and for for their division around customer satisfaction and customer
1: support. And, and that's important from the perspective of when you think about the company, that communication from the top on down is considered to be, I think, a more important component now than it has maybe at any point.
0: That's right, that's exactly right. um you know there's a there's a, a another example that's super fun. you know, all of us have had that experience of going to get our car repaired, yeah and then we bite our fingernails to the quick, waiting for the phone call. Uh, for how much it's going to cost, right? Right, yeah. You know, that that $20 oil change is suddenly a $2,000 bill. Right. There's there's a garage in, um, in San Francisco called Luscious Garage. They mostly take care of hybrids. But I love their model because what they've done is they have gotten rid of, you know, all due respect to service advisors, they've gotten rid of that service advisor in the middle who basically plays telephone between you and the technician. Yeah, yeah. So, so instead, you go in, you meet your 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 service technician right away, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and then they create. They have a mobile app where you stay in contact with, with them throughout the total time that they're under your car, looking at your car. They're sending you pictures. You're communicating with them. They move it from a one-way fearful relationship to a two-way communication and partnership
1: is this is this an expectation that you have this mindset that will continue to grow and grow and obviously you're you're doing consulting work as well so mm-hmm. i mean you're out there talking with a lot of these companies but the the adaptation the understanding of how important these these ideas are that that it will continue to grow and grow as we move on
0: absolutely and you know we've got these this younger group of people whether you call them millennials or whatever they're expecting amazon time service no matter what you do right yeah. they're expecting yeah. they're expecting even higher value congruence in the behaviors of the companies that they will and will not work with because they are so fast to click goodbye and so yeah. what we're recognizing is yeah you've got to embed these things you've got to make communication a product you've got to make transparency a a core value and then you need to operationalize that not only in your human beings but in the in the mobile apps and other things that you do to communicate with them
1: which is amazing considering we talked earlier about the communication that that we need to have here and we rely so much on on our technology it just makes the challenge of that communication that that much greater but when you get it right it it makes it that much more uh it makes it that much more successful that's right Gene, I have to, and we're at the top of the hour. Thank you very much. It is a phenomenal book. Thank you very Thank much you. for giving us your time today.
0: Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Thank you again. The book is "Would You Do That to Your Mother?" Gene Bliss is the author. Uh, it is available in bookstores and online right now for your purchase. Pick it up today.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.